This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. No, I feel like my wrist is super duper bothering me, and it's because I'm single and my partner is my phone. Uh huh. And I get up, and I used to think it was a yoga. How's the sex? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> not great. It's okay, not great. Yeah. It's fine. It's not frequent. Um, we've just been in a relationship for a really, really long time, and Got I it. think we're honestly Things sick have of gotten each other. Stale. Things have gotten very stale with me and my phone, um, and that's tough. Tons of digital manipulation. Um, no, but I like think it's my thumb. I like pretty anyway. I'm full on injured, and I don't know if anybody else is experiencing. Like, my eyes, because I've been watching screens so fucking much. It's hurting. My eyes are getting worse. I'm convinced. Do you know what I thought of when you said your wrist hurt? That I was I masturbating of, too much? Yes, yeah. that was the first thing I thought. And then the second thing I thought was <laughs> it reminded me of a story that a mutual friend of ours, boyfriend, told me a few weeks ago that I forgot to tell you that I'm now definitely going to tell you, which is that I'm not going to say any names, but... Because it's like friend of a friend of a friend. So I think it's okay to tell it. And plus, once you hear this story, you'll realize who it it's is. a story that must be told. <laughs> which is to say, this was a guy that was walking in the woods. He was an outdoorsy guy. And he had hiking equipment with him. And he came upon a dead bear in <gasps> the woods. And was like, I happen to know that bear claws are worth a lot. And are really cool also. And I have my hunting knife. I'm going to cut off the bear's hand because it's dead. Went up to the bear and went to cut the bear's hand off. The reason the bear had died was with its other hand, it had grabbed a transformer and been electrocuted electrocuted (gasps) and still had the transformer in the other hand shot so much voltage through this guy because his knife touched the bone (gasps) of the bear, like went knife to bone, shot electricity through him. In the words of the person telling the story, his nipples blew up. (laughs) And I'm like, what? His nipples blew up? And he's like, yeah, he also, he lost his arm. But anywhere on his body that there was metal, like buttons... It, like, exploded. So he burnt <gasps> his nipples off. Oh, my God. I really, really hoped, and I asked a follow-up 
and I didn't get um, a clear response, which is to say the person didn't know. And I guess they really can't ask their friend. Um, I wanted to know, was he wearing jeans with like a fly? <gasps> I hope he was wearing I hope he was wearing a, a simple sweat. Wait a minute. Can you tell me who it is and <clears throat> we'll bleep it? Who told the story? Because you know, I don't know who the person. I mean, obviously, you would know if you knew someone in your life and that their was missing an arm off. and their nipples blew off. You don't know the person. <laughs> you really want to know, like, who, who the- told you though? All right, but you have to bleep it because I'm. I we're gonna cut. We can cut all this out anyway. Oh, we can't cut that story. Not that story. That story is in, but we can cut who it is. The only reason I'm saying you have to bleep it is that I couldn't really figure out how to bleep. Yeah, that's fair. I got you. Okay. Um. It- yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I knew that. It's yeah. weird because I because it was at Brianna's going away party, I assume. Yeah. That's fucking insane. Yeah. I kind of love this story only because of how truly darkly creepy it is. Yeah. Um really but a good. Bear claw is worth a lot of money. I mean, I love a pastry, the bear claw. Delicious. Uh, really, do you? Isn't it just like a not as good donut? <sighs> You're right. Like, be honest with yourself. If you're going to get a bear claw, just think bigger is what I would say to the person about to order a bear claw. You're right. Honestly, fuck, you're right. I mean, I just, I feel, I'm, I just, And now whenever you're at a bakery and you see a bear claw, you're just gonna, your nipples are just gonna hurt. They're gonna really hurt. So you're not gonna want that. that actually is my experience with any sort of pastry. My nipples do hurt. (laughs) Yes, always. That's been a consistent (laughs) thing in my life. Almond croissant. My nipples are terrified. Nipples are shaking. Oh, pan au chocolat. Oh, Ouchie mama. That hurts. <laughs> Who's first today? Who's first? I think I am. Lucky duck. Am I firsties? I think so. I think I, I think went first so. last time. So I'm doing the story of this woman, Della Sorensen. Have you heard about this woman? No. I don't think you have. I think because her stuff is kind of like mm, casual. You know me. I would love it if you hadn't heard of her because... So obviously I was going through a deep dive and going through the internet webs as I do. And of course, what I planned on doing, I was like, mm, nah, yeah, <laughs> hard pass, even though it's really interesting and I should do it. I'll later do it later story. this week. It's a later story. But I ran into this and I just looked at the first headline and I was like, mm-hmm, that's what I'll do. <laughs> Not really knowing anything. Great. So this is a story of Della um, Sorensen. So this takes place in the late 1890s. Well, she was born in the late 1890s. It takes place in the early 1900s. But I don't know why it is, but I feel like doing stories from the early 1900s gives us such space Mm. to, like, make jokes and banter about it for some weird reason. Not weird. I know why. It's It's, because their descendants are way less. You often pick ones from that period, and I pick, like, last year. (laughs) And, yeah... I think I like to go darker than you, though. Well, It's a good balance. It's a good balance. I also think, too, with... Is my phone? I don't want to make sure it's not vibrating. (laughs) That's just my... See, my phone vibrates. Vibrator, baby. I wish. Um, No, if... Where is my phone? Let it go. Let it go. We're going to let it go, but I want to make sure it wasn't on here. Sometimes you don't even have a phone. I don't have a phone. Um, No, but I think... What I like about these old timey stories is I think people were crazier because they were more they're bored, and I think that they were more creative in some way because I don't know you had to make your own logs and fire and shit. That, yes, you know, indeed, the you world do. was different. Um, okay, so this is Della Sorensen. She was born um, February sixteenth, nineteen 
Is that your birthday? Four days after. Damn, 20th. so close. Um, uh, 1897. And this all started in a 1918 in rural Nebraska. Della is married and her sister comes, her sister-in-law comes in, her husband's sister comes in and she brought her child, Viola Cooper was her name, and she dies suddenly in the house. Obviously, very sad. The child was, I believe, four months or something. Let me see. I'm pretty sure she was, but she dies suddenly. She's like a pretty young child and she dies suddenly. Mm -hmm. So then two years after her husband's mother, her name is Wilhelmina Wilhelmina Weldham. I'm going to say Wilhelmina Weldham. That's definitely right. That's definitely how you say it. She all of a sudden dies suddenly. Super weird. So Della's niece dies suddenly and her mother-in-law dies suddenly then a little later the month of september so in like 1921 or 22 her husband john veldman and her own eight-year-old daughter minnie veldham both of them die suddenly Mm -hmm. della i smell uh, something fishy you might smell something fishy but i gotta tell you nobody else apparently did they're like poor woman this all, woman all, all the people that get close to her die just fucking drop, drop the planet dead. yeah and i guess autopsies aren't a thing in rural nebraska because no one's fucking doing that no um so a whopping four months later she remarries yeah and then it's August 1922, and her sister-in-law, I don't know if you remember, the one who had her child her child drop dead last mm-hmm. time she saw Auntie Della. In August, her sister-in-law brings her other child. She had an infant son named Clifford Cooper, who was four months old. Bye, Cliff. Guess what? Clifford fucking drops dead. Could have told you that one. You knew that was coming. I knew the punchline there. <laughs> so then... Again, nobody is catching on to fucking Della, which I think is stupid. Yes. Stupid. That's the um, word for it. So Mrs. Cooper, sister-in-law, comes back in October with another child. Miss Cooper. Make new friends. Make new friends. Don't keep Don't the old. Don't keep the old. One is silver and, the, and this one is a killer. And the fucking killer. <laughs> and the other is a murderer. And the other one's a fucking murderer. Um, and Auntie Della gave this child a little piece of candy. The kid got sick but did not die. So in early 1923, after obviously she had remarried and she had a son or she had – no, a daughter. I'm sorry. Early 1923, she was, she was celebrating her daughter, um, Dolores, or Delia was her name. She was celebrating her first birthday. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Yeah. I don't think I have to. Her daughter's dead. I mean, it dead. goes without saying. Her daughter dies on her first birthday. <sighs> well. So then, a week later... One of her, a mutual, a family friend comes over and they bring their tiny little baby infant, Ruth Brock, to visit Della. Guess what? Dead. The baby dead. No one realized this was a hobby. So I haven't, there was no name, but there was another victim. There was an infant that I believe belonged, another child of Della's Uh who died. As so well. she kills her own as well. She kills her <clears throat> own. Basically, spoiler alert: all of the people Don't think who it's she a killed, at this all, point. all the people she killed, were um, members of her family or through mar- through blood or marriage. 
Got it. So she's killing all of her fucking people. She attempted to kill her second husband, but he just got sick and didn't die. I guess she was used to poisoning children. She wasn't necessarily upping the dosage enough. And only then did the authorities begin to suspect her. And probably it was the husband. He was like... She seemed really bummed when I got better. Mm -hmm. She seemed really stoked that I was dying. This seems weird. So then while they're investigating her, doing all this stuff, two children in her neighborhood, after receiving a piece of candy from Della, um, fall ill, but a doctor brings them back to health. And so it's then after these two random kids are poisoned that they arrest her. Phew. Phew. Also. And once they arrest her, all the dying comes to a halt. All the death comes to a halt. But also she, she killed eight people. Della, Della, Della. Why did you do it, Della? Do you want to know why? Because she wrote it in the confession and that's what this is. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go through now is why she did it. I'd love to know. Okay. So she confessed to the crime saying, they bothered me, so I decided to kill them. Now, some were... But I will go through piece by piece. Okay, okay. You'll tell me how they bothered. Because I'm like, well, some of them seem like they couldn't have really had much to say to you at the ripe age of several months. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that their parent didn't. Oh, so, okay. Okay, so let's go through it. She said she killed two of her own kids, which I think she killed three, but she killed two of her own kids. Um, Dolores, who was the baby, who was the year old, because her the crying and fretting irritated her, killed her one-year-old. Her eight-year-old child, Minnie, the first of the, one of the first deaths, um, was ill with St. Vitus dance, and I could do nothing for her. Do you know what St. Vitus dance is? It's like a cold. <laughs> it's weirder. What is it? St. Vitus dance, sounding. right? It's an illness called St. Vitus dance. It's a disorder characterized by rapid, uncoordinated, jerking movements, primarily affecting the face, hands, throat. So I believe it makes them look like they're dancing because of jerking tremors a little bit. I think so. And so she said there was nothing I could do for Minnie, so I killed her. Okay. Okay. Her husband, they had a fight. Well, I get that. (laughs) Matt? (laughs) Her mother-in-law... Vilamina, it was because she was feeble and childish, uh, feeble and childish and a burden. And I wanted to get her out of the way. All right. I mean, she sounds like a woman that gets things done. Say what you will about her. She's proactive as shit for sure. Her, um, the two sister-in-law's kids, mm-hmm. Violet and Clifford, was because her sister-in-law, she gossiped about her. I can't stand to gossip. I'm more and more on Della's side here. <laughs> guys it's the 1800s it's It's the 1800s oh it's early 1900s it's world war it's world war one post-world war one or whatever um and then she said every time i gave poison to one of mrs cooper's children i said to myself now i'm going to get even with you for what you have said about me Whoa, do not cross Della. And by the way, these are all quotes because she wrote this all out in the confession. She poisoned her friend's child, Ruth Brock. Can you guess why? 
Well, I'm sure Ruth did something annoying. Well, no, it was because Ruth, well, this is what she said. She said, I felt sorry for the poor child because its mother did not care for it. <laughs> so the reasoning so that just, was out of kindness. That really. was out of kindness. That one she was, was just, sparing, you know, that was just her charity work yeah. that she did on the side. On the side. Yeah. On the side of main revenge murders. This one was like revenge murder, revenge murder, charity case. <laughs> Revenge murder, revenge murder. You've got to balance that out if you want to go to heaven, Della. (laughs) And then she said, I like to attend funerals. I'm happy when someone is dying. Huh. She had a lot of great black get-ups. She loved, she looked good in black. Can't blame a girl. Beautiful in black. And then she said, after the death of my little daughter, Minnie... Um, that one f- kills me. Killing your eight-year-old kid. Eight-year-old, I don't one know why that one kills me. An infant child. I couldn't do anything for her. Well, you could leave her the fuck alone, Della. Yeah. Maybe don't kill her. Give her up for adoption. <sighs> well, I don't think. I mean, I... I guess that wasn't a thing. This was Nebraska. I don't know. It was a wild, wild west out there. Um, right. So she said, after the death of my little daughter, Minnie, I had a feeling of elation and happiness. Then, after I got to thinking about what I had done, I was afraid and tried to hide it. I had the same feeling after the death of every one of them I poisoned. Fearful that she'd get caught? And then she regret. Yeah, and then she tried to hide it. Hmm. I wonder what her childhood was like. Didn't say much. That's the thing is she just was kind of... So she obviously poisoned all of them. Mm-hmm. But through this, it became very clear to people that she was mentally unwell. Mm-hmm. Um, and they diagnosed her with schizophrenia. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I don't think that's right, but... I don't know what it is, because I... I mean, I wasn't there. I wasn't. You weren't there. uh, For at least most of the time, I wasn't there. (laughs) And I'm also um, not a doctor. Are you? Well, I'm a doctor's assistant. (laughs) A DA. I'm a would-be doctor. I'm a dentist. (laughs) Um, Wouldn't that be funny if that was my job? I would love it if you were a dentist. I was a dentist and then I did this. I feel like that would scare people. I think people would like that. That's scary. But that they'd would be like, scare people. Oh, there's a dentist that who's loves obsessed with murder? death and murder. Hmm. That's dark. That's we should find creepy. that. Isn't Dr. Kevorkian? Wasn't he the He was not a dentist. What was he? He was a doctor that helped people commit suicide. Thank you. We should do him. Oh yeah. He was like um. One of the but OG angels of death. That might not be true. I think the angels of death were. She would have been a good angel of death. Those are like you know the nurses that love killing people. Yeah, I've I've ran across a couple of those. Yeah, we haven't done an angel of death, death story. We'll do angel of death. This one feels like sort of an angel of death, but she was convicted. So she was doctors convinced she was schizophrenic, and so instead of bringing her to jail, they committed her to the asylum. Mm-hmm. And they said if she leaves in two to three years from the asylum, the murder charges um, will be revived. So I think so. They were not forcibly putting her there, but being no, like they were putting her there. I believe forcibly, but if she got out, because I think sometimes if you're in an asylum and you can get out on good behavior and things like oh. that, then it means you're actually sane. I don't know if you saw the Law and Order SVU episode with Cynthia Nixon. Missed it. That's basically what she does. It's great. It's a great episode. Mm-hmm. But you can fake insanity. I, I don't think many people do, but. I don't know if that's true. I'm making it up. But you can essentially what they were worried of is having her come across as mentally unstable and then have her get out in two to three years and be like, well, 
eight murders, all good, off my record. Served by two years. Exactly. uh, At the institute. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting sort of like caveat is you go to the asylum and then in two to three years. But anyway, so she stayed in the asylum and she was, um, uh, she spent 16 years there before she died. And by the way, she entered the asylum at the age of 28. So eight murders were all before she was 28 years old, which I think is just like a lot. Doing yeah. a lot, doing the most. So she spent 16 years oh, in the funny. asylum. Oh, funny. I don't think I even pictured her so young. She was young. So wait, but of I course she think, was because you used to have babies. Soups youngs. I think she was 21 in her first murder because she was born in 1897 and then it was in 1918 that the first murder occurred. So that would be 21 years. Yeah. Good math. Thank you. Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, so she spent 16 years in the asylum um, before she died, June 24th, 1941, at the age of 44. Wow. Well, that's a story of rural Nebraska serial killer, Della Sorensen. Della. I told you it was a shorty. Not nice, Della. Yeah, sometimes it's good to do a shorty. Sometimes you got to do a little shorty. Uh, you know, we're still all glad to know about Della. But... May she haunt our dreams forever. I think I was what in what what was curious to me about the case was that it was her own fucking family, mm-hmm. and Both, two marriages, yeah. and she got well, married and the four months later. Are just... So, but the thing is, is why? I mean, I don't know. I do not know the qualities that I do not. I do not know what makes someone schizophrenic. I do not know. I'm not going to claim to know what that um disorder is you're not a dentist i i do think the reasoning the fact that there's clear reason and it's premeditated and there was remorse after feels to kill your own children you have to be crazy something's not connected in that brain i don't i think the schizophrenia is uh i mean look at it how much we change our medical jargon and textbooks and what we feel yeah. like we can um say people have do you think schizophrenia was like a catch-all <clears throat> for other disorders bit. it almost still in... is in a lot of ways today yeah you're right um we haven't separated that out into its subsections well enough that when like... you say that it can yeah. mean a lot of different things still yeah Ugh. and i don't think they would have even said then that she was a sociopath or i don't know but she was afraid of getting caught. She might have been. I mean, I think because probably mental health and, you know, mental disorders are probably so young in mm-hmm. its development mm-hmm. and it's sort of in the science of the brain. And I also feel, too, as a woman, I do think it's fascinating that it took until her trying to kill her husband, who was, like, close to victim seven or eight, like, right at the fucking tail end of her spree, Right? I mean, Good how, how long does it take them? And I think it's because, and we've talked about this, where people underestimate women. Yes. We're crazy. We're just as capable We're of murder. We're all killers. Yeah. We're all killers. Look she out. probably was on her period. <laughs> That's why they all do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you ready for I'm so ready. quite a tale? Quite a, a tale. tale to remember. <gasps> a walk to remember or a tale to remember? A crime to remember. Is that a show? They should have made that if not. They should have made that. I wonder. Um, Shout out to the f- 
new podcast a crime to remember i wonder this will i think it'll get familiar but um do you remember the death of conrad roy I feel like this is a podcast just about names. It sounds so familiar. That's because it almost sounds like the name I think of the guy on Succession, like the character's name. I, don't I think watch the, Succession. Oh, you should. I should. Really you know good what? television. And also, now's the great, now's the best time to start binge watching a fucking TV show. Binge it up, toots. Done. Um, before I start, going to thank Wikipedia, the HBO documentary, I Love You Now Die. <gasps> yes, wait, wait. I was going to do this one this was on my list did you oh, watch the documentary i did indeed <gasps> shut the fuck up this you might is not I... even be interested in watching i'm gonna do such a good job presenting Wait, actually you have to watch it's really well done i've been this has been on my list and i've just been too afraid to watch it because i'm afraid of how it will make you dark feel. and twisty it's and how dark. much it makes you feel wait i know exactly you're I'm gonna so... feel a lot of feelings I'm Get so ready. excited. I'm so excited. There's some supplemental articles I also read from Rolling Stone and Elle magazine because I love a good read. <laughs> Conrad Roy was born in 1995 in Metapoisset. Am I saying it right? Probably not. Massachusetts. For several years, he worked with his father, grandfather, and uncle in his family's marine salvage business, Tucker Roy Marine Towing and Salvage. Great name. Yeah, perfect. It's in the uh, New England area. And in the spring of 2014, he actually earned his captain's license from the Northeast Maritime Institute because he did three months of night classes to do that. In 2014? Yeah. And he was born in 95? So he was how old? I'm going to spoiler alert everything soon. Okay. Um, Which is to say say he lived to the age of 18. So he was young when he did that captain test. Yeah. It's a big deal. Everyone was super proud of him. <laughs> they were. Uh, in June 2014, he also graduated on honor roll from Old Rochester Region High School in Metapoisset. He was a high school athlete. He played baseball, rode crew, ran track. Total cutie. Um, he had a 3.88 GPA, and he was accepted to Fitchburg State University to study business, but he did decide not to go, because I think he wanted to stay and do some boating stuff, maybe. Anyway, Conrad Roy met Michelle Carter in Florida in 2012, so I think she was probably 15 and he was 16, and they were each there visiting relatives. They went on a bike ride together. They went to the beach. He asked her if she had a boyfriend. There was a lot of flirtation. And it wasn't, I don't believe, at this initial encounter that they decided they were dating or anything because there's some text messages later on where she's sort of like, are we together? And he says, what do you mean? I'm paraphrasing. And she says something like, well, I want to be able to say I'm your girlfriend. And he said, yeah, you're my girlfriend. <clears throat> and did most you of ever, their did you ever meet someone on a family vacation? No, never, never in That's my life. That's only a movie thing, I think. And except for this one, right? That's... Well, this was also a movie because it's a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, post romance. I did see it. this movie. So <laughs> after this encounter, they pretty much just have a relationship that exists via text message. They see each other. They sometimes talk on the phone. They only live 35 miles apart, but they really only see each other the entire couple years they date, maybe five times. Some of their texts would 
talk about missing each other and even talk about wanting to meet up. But they wouldn't. And they wouldn't. And I think that there was a thing with that where what we see with teenagers that feel like they can more readily be themselves. Via text. Yeah. I think there is. I Yeah, I wonder because. It was scary, I think. And also having a physical connection was probably scary for both of them because they both had, um, they both had some depression issues. Mm-hmm. And I think that they could so much more readily talk about their real life and their problems via on their text. phones. I also think too, is I mean, this, he, I'm going to call him the victim. May I call him the victim? You may call him whatever you choose. I'll call him the victim as of now. I'll call on, him Conrad. Okay. Conrad is what? He's seven years younger than me. Mm-hmm. I think in those seven years, it probably was really significant in terms of like what technology was available at in this like formative age of like what instant messenger was and AIM and stuff like that because that was a part of my junior high ish but it wasn't until high school I mean, anyway I can't I think it really we haven't totally seen the effects of what that does I of think what to technology yeah. yeah Conrad struggled with social anxiety and depression he'd seen therapists and counselors and even a cognitive behavioral therapist in the weeks prior to his death uh, he'd been hospitalized uh, for an Tylenol overdose when he was 17. And he also had some issues of abuse in his home. Hmm. He had been physically hit by his dad and verbally abused by his grandfather. And there was a police report that they took one time when the police were called to a house on domestic violence that in the police report, his father beat him for not immediately putting away his dinner after he ate. So uh, he also tried to kill himself in, we talked about this, but in October 2012, after his parents got divorced and had his stomach pumped. He always was Googling how to commit suicide. And he told Michelle that and told her he had racing thoughts and suicidal thoughts and that he felt like he used to be a happy kid, but he turned himself into a monster. In June, the year that he killed himself, he texted Michelle Carter saying they should do a Romeo and Juliet. And she kind of didn't get the reference Reference. and was like, I'd love to be a Juliet. And he said, but you know how the play ends, right? And then she sort of realized what he was saying and said, Something about, no, I don't want us to kill ourselves. Mm. She, well, let's talk about her. Michelle Carter was born August 11th, 1996 in Massachusetts to Gail and David Carter. She went to King Philip Regional High School in Rentham. And she developed an eating disorder super young. She was eight or nine years old. And when you watch the documentary, you see some drastic what look to be not horribly drastic, but there's some real weight fluctuations that we mm-hmm. see. She was also a cutter, and she was on prescription psychiatric medication from the age of 14. Oh, she God. attended counseling at McLean Hospital in Belmont. She had considered suicide and told Conrad that she one time even made a homemade noose and hung it up and then just didn't have the courage to go through with it. But... 
in her community, people did not know about this. Her parents didn't know how dark. I don't think it was. She was known as a sweet girl. She even won most likely to brighten people's day. But the truth of it was she did not have really a lot of close friends she mm-hmm. had peripheral friends, the kind of friends that say hi to you in the hall, but don't invite, but you, over don't invite you over. Yeah. And she wanted so badly to be connected and to have someone close to her. And she tried all the time because, as most people know that have some inkling of this case, so much of it rests in looking through all the text messages from her phone and what you see in there forget about the ones she sent to Conrad there was a lot of ones sent to girls at the school that were why wasn't I invited or do you think you want to hang out tonight do you think you want to hang out tomorrow night and people that were always quote busy the vibe you get and we all kind of know what this is is that she had that neediness And that sort of desperation. And when you come off that way, it's it pushes people away. So it was sort of cyclical where the more she really tried to make friends, the more the girls came up with excuses. It felt like dating. Yeah. Also, (laughs) during high school, she um, she texted some of her friends that she had this crush on a girl. Um, And the girl's name was Alice. And they had gone to, I believe it was a softball or a soccer, some sort of sports camp together. Did you say softball because? (laughs) Because it's the lesbian sport. (laughs) You guys, we're kidding. Get a grip. Get a grip. Um, I play softball. I don't play any sports. (laughs) I don't play. I'm terrible at it. But I go to games. Um, And cheer. They are fun. They're very fun. So she got a crush on a girl there, and I suppose what she said is that they struck up such a close friendship, and it did become romantic, not physical necessarily, Mm -hmm. but that she said they fell in love with each other. And the relationship ran really deep, and she even said, I think I'm kind of obsessed with her. I think about her whenever I hear a love song. I think about her. She's the person that She's comes person, up in my yeah. mind. And this was during being with Conrad. Okay, that was my I, question. I do, I do remember she sent a text to somebody saying something along the lines of, can you be in love with two people? But she wasn't talking to Alice anymore because actually Alice's mom I believe oh, told no. her you can't text her anymore. She's And they stopped being connected at all. Oh. When they went to make this documentary, they went and talked to Alice and her mother, and they said the picture painted was a completely false one. What They picture? were never close. Alice wasn't aware that Michelle looked at her that way. They never had a close... Fr- like, she... They behaved as though Michelle had imagined it and invented it. And they called her a sociopath. So, really, this girl is alone in the world. Does the documentary paint it like she's a, like she's the victim of all this stuff or that Not she's... Not even a little bit. Okay. I think that the documentary does a really good job of presenting the, the case facts, what it is, yeah. And there's a lot of things that are sad about this girl's life. 
But what we're trying to get to is why this all went down the way it did and knowing who Michelle was and what her experience was like of high school is important to know Mm -hmm. Um, because she did something that not a lot of 17-year-old girls would do. But we'll get to that. After learning that Conrad was planning on killing himself, which he tells her via text all the time. There's nothing about that that's failed. Mm -hmm. He tells her all the time. And she spends a lot of time discouraging him the first couple years they know each other. Mm. Telling him to get professional help, telling him she loves him, trying to be there for him. You can imagine it's probably a pretty big burden for a 15-year-old girl. It's a big burden for anyone, let alone a 15-year-old girl. And their texts are sort of teasing a lot of the time and he puts her down a lot and uh, in a joking way turns around and says I'm kidding the way teenagers talk to each other Mm -hmm. we're like you're a fucking idiot and the next thing is like I'm kidding it's uh, watching the text messages feels like an emotional roller coaster Mm -hmm. it just reminds me of why I never want to be young again (laughs) and I believe in reincarnation so I'm gonna have to do that again Oh, I hope I'm better prepared. I hope I get reincarnated in a different time period before the phones. Or you just, like, go reach nirvana. You know what I mean? This could be your nirvana life. Who knows? You never know. Ah, nirvana sounds boring. So um, he makes a, a video that I watched on YouTube, and he makes it a month before he commits suicide. The thing about this video is I'm sure it was used in the prosecution of Michelle because the video depicts someone that while they're depressed has hope. He says, what I'm doing is looking at myself so negatively, looking at myself, a minuscule little particle on the face of this earth, this no good trash that will never be successful, never have a wife, never have kids, never learn. And then later he says, but I have a lot to offer someone. And the way he talks, he seems like really smart, deep thinker, emo sort of kid that's got this stuff going on that he doesn't know how to deal with. Oh. Um, he says things like that he knows he's really nice, but maybe he's too nice. And that nobody's perfect and you need to accept yourself as an individual. He says stuff like that. He says it's hard for him to be comfortable in his own skin. And that a lot of people tell him he has a lot going for him. And one of the things he says that really stuck out to me in the video is, I can develop as a person. Of course you can. You're 18 years old. You're going to change so much. You have to just stick around to see it through. To be there for it. And it really... It could not any more than it already did speak for the it gets better campaign movement mm-hmm. and you want to shake him and yell that in his yeah. face. Yeah. Because it you watch it and for him, for sure, it would have yeah. so much promise. He seems really excited about getting this captain's license, truly. And he says he just needs to get the cobwebs out and turn gears. Like, he's kind of talking to himself, like, trying to snap him out of his funk. Yeah. Uh, he's Using just, he metaphors, really which I helpful. love. I love that. Thank How you. Cute. I didn't even notice. We'll clear out the cobwebs and switch gears. I'm like, yeah, that feels boaty. Yeah, that's boaty-ish. So, as we were talking about how Michelle, for the first couple years, is really 
trying to help him, trying to help him stay calm, trying to be a support system as much as she can. Something really shifts in July of 2014 where she, it seems, switches gears and is like, becomes in favor of the suicide rather than against it. Now, this was around the exact time that Alice that I told you about Mm -hmm. had cut off her contact with Michelle. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it's hard not to wonder if there was some transference of that that relationship ending and Mm -hmm. then her starting to encourage the suicide. It's sort of an just another example. Michelle just had a hard time creating bonds with people. Yeah. I'm going to talk a little bit now about their text messages. Yeah. Because this is, again, where it really turned. And the kinds of things she texted were things like, drink bleach. Why don't you just drink bleach? And these were pulled from her phone and shown... Well, that's correct me if I'm wrong. That was what made this case so unique is that it was all text. All text. It was the whole. Did they ever talk on the phone? Yes. Okay. We don't know what was said, obviously. She talks about the way that he will ultimately kill himself, which is carbon monoxide poisoning. She says, if you emit 3,200 ppm of it for five or 10 minutes, you will die within a half hour. You'll lose consciousness with no pain. You'll just fall asleep and die. You can also just take a hose and run that from the exhaust pipe to the rear window in your car and seal it with duct tape and shirts so that it can't escape. You will die within like 20 or 30 minutes, all pain free. Uh, She says to him, I think your parents know you're in a really bad place. I'm not saying they want you to do it, but I honestly feel like they can accept it. They know there is nothing they can do. They've tried helping. Everyone's tried. But there is a point that comes when there isn't anything anyone can do to save you, not even yourself. And you've hit that point. And I think your parents know you've hit that point. You said your mom saw a suicide thing on your computer and she didn't say anything. I think she knows it's on your mind and she's prepared for it. Everyone will be sad for a while, but they will get over it and move on. They won't be in a depression. I won't let that happen. They know how sad you are. And they know that you are doing this to be happy. And I think they will understand and accept it. They will always carry you in their hearts. They will move on for you because they know that's what you would have wanted. They know you wouldn't want them to be sad and depressed and be angry and guilty. They know you want them to live their lives and be happy. So they will for you. You're right. You need to stop thinking about this and just do it because overturning always kills overthinking. And he says, yeah, it does. I've been thinking about it for far too long. And she says, always smile. And yeah, you have to just do it. You have everything you need. There is no way you can fail. Tonight's the night. It's now or never. One thing that happens. Oh, my God. I hate that. I hate that so much. One thing that happens is that two days before Conrad dies, Michelle texts all her friends that he's gone missing. And at the same time, she's texting him, putting a lot of pressure on him to go get the gas to kill himself. She tells her friends, it's all my fault and that he needed her and that she wasn't there and she let him down. And what the prosecution will say in court is they are 
explaining that it seems like what she was doing is testing her friends to see what reaction she was going to be likely to get if, in fact, he killed himself. And she liked the reaction that she got. Yeah. Because... People probably were like, what do you mean? Lots of attention on her and not just attention, but wanting to be near her, not pushing her away. No one pushed her away when she started saying crazy things like that. And that's when she got persistent with him. On the day he died, they text all day and he does call her at 628 p.m. and they speak for 42 minutes and then she calls him back uh, at 712. So there was... The math on that is, like, they were only off the phone for two minutes. And then she calls him, and they speak for another 47 minutes. I assume it's, like, a a battery died, and then... So they speak for basically a total of around an hour and a half, and that's the last call of his life. And no one knows what they said to one another. But Sunday, July 13th, 2014, he dies by suicide by poisoning himself with carbon monoxide fumes in his truck in a Kmart parking lot in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. The day before his death, his family thought everything seemed all right. He spent the day with his mom. He took his sisters for ice cream. They went to the beach. After his body is discovered, Michelle texts a friend and confesses her role in the death and says, I could have stopped it. I was on the phone with him and he got out of the car because it was working. And he got scared, and I fucking told him to get back in. She confessed it right away? She says that to a friend right away. Okay. A day after he's dead, Michelle texts his sister and asks if the family, or an hour, not a day, an hour after he's dead, Michelle texts his sister because they're looking for him. She asks if they've found him yet, and she keeps offering words of support and help. And once they find him... She goes in, sits with the family. She gives his mom a bunch of support. And his mom the whole time is sort of like, whoa, nice to meet you. I didn't know my son had a girlfriend. Because from her perspective, the whole relationship, remember, was texts. So the mom never met this girl that was this huge part of her son's life. He wasn't talking about her a lot, obviously, when he wasn't texting with her. He didn't bring her home to meet them or anything. So it was sort of news to the mom that they had this relationship. After the funeral, Michelle asks Conrad's sister if she can have some of the ashes. And on the 13th, once he's discovered, she starts texting friends, can we hang out to keep my mind off it? And she faced, she ends up in the weeks that follow doing lots of posts about his death on social media and on Facebook. She has a lot of friends come over. She organizes a fundraiser, a softball tournament in her town to raise money for mental health in his name, which was off-putting because if you're going to do a fundraiser for a person that's died, you should do it in their town so the people that love them and knew them can go. The only reason to do it in your town, right, is, is if, if it's attention. about you yeah. and you want your friends to go. She said to friends, I'm like famous now. Oh, my God. So when Michelle's brought in for questioning, they ask her if she spoke to Conrad the day he died. And she's very sort of general in her answers. Uh, she definitely does not offer anything up. 
and they know they're not getting the full story and they confiscate her phone right there. That quickly? Yeah, they say, we have to take your phone. You'll get it back. And they take it home that night. Not the phone. I think they, whatever, they, the files that the phone yields. These mm-hmm. two cops take home all the records. Yeah. And they read pages upon pages. They divide it. And they both show up to work the next day and look at each other and almost simultaneously agree. Without her, he's still alive today. And to elaborate on that theory, I have the text messages between them the day that he died. So we're going to read them. Oh, my God. Let me get it. Are you going to cast yourself in the role of whatever you want? Do you want to, to play read. Conrad or Michelle? Whatever you want me to read, baby. Um, why don't you be Michelle because you have a more feminine voice, and that will be less confusing <laughs> to the readers at home. Okay. Now, who's that, the highlight? That actually means you're going to read everything not highlighted. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Okay. So I'm Conrad. Okay. Okay. Conrad. Hey, you there? Sorry, hey, I fell asleep. Is that, oh, it's okay. Why haven't you done it yet, though? I'm too messed up, too. What are you talking about? My head. You can't think about it. You just have to do it. You said you were going to do it. Like, I don't get why you aren't. I don't get it either. I don't know. So I guess you aren't going to do it then. All that for nothing. I'm just confused. Like, you are so ready and determined. I am going to eventually. I really don't know what I'm waiting for, but I have everything lined up. No, you're not, Conrad. Last night was it. You keep pushing it off and you say you'll do it, but you never do. It's always going to be that way if you don't take action. You're just making it harder on yourself by pushing it off. You just have to do it. Do you want to do it now? Is it too late? I don't know. It's already light outside. I'm going to go back to sleep. Love you and I'll text you tomorrow. No, it's probably the best time now because everyone's sleeping. Just go somewhere in the truck and no one's at really out right now because it's an awkward time. If you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. And you can say you'll do it tomorrow, but you probably won't. Tonight. Love you. Thank you. For what? Are you awake? Yes. Are you going to do it today? Yes. Like in the daytime? Should I? Yeah, it's less suspicious. You won't think about it as much. And you'll get it over with instead of waiting until the night. Yeah, then I will. Like where? Like, I could go in any enclosed area. Go in your trunk and drive to a sparkling lot somewhere, to a park or something. Do it now, like early. Didn't we say this was suspicious? No, I think night is more suspicious. A kid waiting in his car, just turn on the radio and do it. It won't be suspicious and it won't take long. All right, I'm taking Holly for a walk. Okay. I don't know why I'm like this. Sometimes things happen and we never have answers why. Like, why am I so hesitant lately? Like, two weeks ago, I was willing to try everything, and now I'm worse really bad, and I'm LOL not following through. It's eating me inside. You're so hesitant because you keep overthinking it and pushing it off. You just need to do it, Conrad. The more you push it off, the more it will eat at you. You're ready and prepared. All you have to do is turn the generator around, and you be free and happy. No more pushing it off. No more waiting. You're right. If you want to do it as bad as you say you do, it's time to do it today. Yep. No more waiting. Okay. I'm serious. Like you can't even wait till tonight. You have to do it um, when you get back from your walk. Thank you. For what? Still being here. I would never leave you. You're the love of my life, my boyfriend. You're my heart and I never leave you. Aw. Love you. Love you too. 
When will you be back from your walk? Like five minutes. Okay, so you're going to do it? I guess. Well, I want you to, I want you to be ready and sure. Smiley face. What's that mean? Haha. <laughs> I don't know. I'm freaking out again. I'm overthinking. I thought you wanted to do this. The time is right and you're ready. You just need to do it. You can't keep living this way. You just need to do it like you did last time and not think about it and just do it, babe. You can't really you can't keep doing this every day. I do want to, but I feel like I'm freaking out for my family, I guess. I don't know. Conrad, I told you I'll take care of them. Everyone will take care of them to make sure they won't be alone, and people will help them get through it. We talked about this. They will be okay and accept it. People who commit suicide don't think this much, and they just do it. I know, I know. LOL. Thinking just drives me more crazy. Exactly. You just need to do it, Conrad, or I'm going to get you help. You can't keep doing this every day. Okay, I'm going to do it today. Do you promise? I promise, babe. I have to now. Like right now? Where do I go? Sad face. Oh. And you can't break a promise. Just go into a parking lot or something. Okay. Go find, go somewhere you know you won't get caught. You can find a place. I know you can. Are you doing it now? Still have no clue. Not finding a place to go isn't an excuse. I know where to go. Where? A park and ride. Ride? That's what it's called. It's like a parking lot. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Are you going now? Either that or go to the beach. Why would you go to the beach? Well, that's where my mom's going. I thought you were just going to do it. My mom's making me go. When I get home, I'm going to do it. Okay, promise? I'm going kayaking anyways. Ha ha, you love kayaking. Yep, smiley face. Something I wish we could have done. Sad face. Make sure you take your son kayaking. Ha ha, of course I will, smiley face. Good, what's up? Kayaking, ha ha. Still? Yep, but I'm done now. I love you so much. I love you forever. I'm in the worst pain right now. Like, it's unbearable. I think it's time to do it now, then. Do you agree? Conrad, please answer me. I'm still at the beach. Oh, okay. Sorry. Let me know when you're leaving. Okay. Sorry, that was my friend who called. She wanted to know if she could borrow my bike because hers is a flat tire. Haha. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Okay. I'm determined. I'm happy to hear that. I'm ready. Good, because it's time, babe. You know that. When you get back from the beach, you gotta just do it. You're ready. You're determined. It's the best time. Okay, I will. Are you back? No, more thinking. Yes, no more thinking. You just need to, you need to just do it. No more waiting. On way back. I know where to go. Where? A parking lot. There's gonna be no cars there at nine, so that's when I'll be found. Okay, perfect. When will you be home? Ten minutes. Haha, <laughs> that's perfect. Okay, yeah, and well, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't want to kill anyone else with me. You won't. When they open the door, they won't know. It's odorless and colorless. You're overturning. You're overthinking. They will see the generator and realize you breathe in CO. So should I keep it in the back seat or front? In front. You should write on a piece of paper and tape it on saying carbon monoxide or something if you're scared. I was thinking that, but someone might see it before it actually happens. Well, wait. The generator is going to be on because you'll be passed out so they know you use carbon poisoning. Dead. Oh, my God. She corrected passed out and made it dead. It's not loud, is it? Not really. LMAO. Do you know what that means? Is that laughing my ass off? Yeah. Not really laughing my ass off. Okay, good. Are you going to do it now? I'm home. Okay. Ah. What? I don't know. I'm stressing. You're fine. It's going to be okay. You just got to do it, babe. You can't think about it. Okay, okay. I got this. Yes, you do. I believe in you. Did you delete the messages? Yes, but you're going to keep messaging me? I will wait until you turn on the generator. Okay, well, I'm bringing my sisters for ice cream. So will you do it when you get back? Yep, I'll go right there. Okay. 
Love you. I love you so much, smiley face. What are you doing? Nothing. Really just resting. Okay, haha, I'm procrastinating. Haha, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, haha, I know. Are you back? Yep. So it's time. Oh, it's been time. Are you going to do it now? I just don't know how to leave them, you know? Say you're going to the store or something. Like, I want them to know I love them. They know. That's one thing they definitely know. You're overthinking. I know I'm overthinking. I've been overthinking for a while now. I know. You just have to do it like you said. Are you going to do it now? I haven't left yet. Ha ha. Why? Leaving now. Okay, you can do this. Okay, I'm almost there. Okay. Please answer me. I'm scared. Are you okay? I love you. Please answer. You're at your dad's, Camden told me. I'll get you help soon, I guess. I thought you actually did it. And then I believe they have the phone calls. And And those are the last text messages in the hour and a half phone calls we have talked about that happened where we don't know what was said happened at the end of this uh, string of text messages. This poor child. This poor con. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I hate. I hate her. Can I say that? You can say that. I fucking hate her. I think a lot of people feel that way. It's really, really hard conversation to read. And there are, as evidenced, many, many moments where he says that he is having second thoughts. The whole thing is his second thought. The whole thing doesn't, like, the whole thing feels like one big fucking second thought. Michelle Carter was indicted on February 4th, 2015, and arraigned the following day in New Bedford Juvenile Court in Taunton, Massachusetts, on charges of involuntary manslaughter. On Monday, June 5th, 2017, the day before the trial was scheduled to begin, Carter waived her right to a jury trial. So it was overseen by a judge. Now, I think that was smart. I think so, too. Because... You just read that with me. I don't think that hearing any of the text messages we've outlined out loud in court. I think it would all make her look. I think, yeah. Well, everyone's going to be emotional about it. It's an emotional case. And what she had going for her in this case has nothing to do with emotion. It just has to do with law. So in other words, uh, and what the defense would present are arguments such as, I can text you, Carrie, jump off a bridge. And then if you go jump off a bridge, did I commit a crime? I don't say, I didn't say jump off a bridge or else. There was no threat. I'm just saying, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then you do it. Now I'm liable. It's a, it's a big question. The legality is in question. The case was heard by Judge Lawrence Moniz in the Bristol County Juvenile Court of Massachusetts. Prosecuting the encouragement of suicide, which is what they're prosecuting, is very limited in history, right? So her lawyer, uh, Joseph P. Cataldo, asked a Totten juvenile court judge for summary dismissal, arguing that Carter's texts were protected under the First Amendment and that the text history showed that Roy had been contemplating suicide without Carter's input for a long time. Mm The judge declined the motion. This case had a ton of pressure on it. It was expected by some to set sort of a legal precedent, right? Of course. It's the first of its kind. It is. And we want to know, is it a crime to tell someone to commit suicide? And the 
legal professionals believed it could have a big social effect by just in general sort of changing what sort of attention courts put on digital methods of committing crimes. Mm -hmm. She was 17 at the time. The court indicted her as a youthful offender rather than a juvenile, meaning she could be sentenced as an adult. Mm -hmm. More that was brought by the defense was that... uh, was the sort of harassing like nature of his text messages to her, um, which is to say things like, if you tell anyone, I'll hate you. Now, let's go back to what we know about Michelle and the fragility that we're dealing with. And just keep in mind that this was the one person in her life. And you say, well, then why did she let this happen? I'm I'm surprised at the I think there's something telling in that they've only seen each other five times. Yeah, they weren't real people to one another, exactly. really. I don't think they totally knew. She didn't meet his family. She didn't. His family didn't know really about her. Yeah. It's like it, it was a, a video game gone awry. Yeah. The, uh, so they bring this expert witness that says he believes that she was involuntarily, this is, say this three times fast, involuntarily intoxicated by the medication she was on. So in other words, she's not shooting up. She's not doing drugs. She's not, but she's on prescribed medication that's making her behave as though in a hypomanic, like a manic state, basically. Oh, hypomanic. Hypo? Is that what you'd say? I would say hypomanic. Okay. I'll say that. Like hypochondriac? Hypo is like like a a hypomanic state. Yeah. She's being manic. She's her medicine's making her manic. So she's like getting into this idea and being like, do it, do it, do it. And when you're in a manic state, you do get angry if your uh, ideas are interrupted or, or the path that you're on is disrupted. So anytime he's having Ugh. second thoughts, she's getting irritated by them. One thing the defense doesn't really bring up is that I think they should have that we know happened is that Michelle has texted friends from high school different accounts of their sexual relationship. She told some people they had sex, then told people they didn't have sex, then ends up telling a few people or at least one person that he assaulted her, basically. And we don't know what to believe, but one way that could have been used for the defense is that a lot of what the trial ended up resting on was not actually the text messages. It was the idea that she texted the friend, I could have saved him. He got out of the car and I told him to fucking get back in. Yeah. Now she says that and we take it for something that happened, right? But she's someone who But is... she also said, we had sex. It was great. We didn't she's have not sex a credible You know person. what? He actually assaulted me. She's not credible. We can't take the text messages as fact. The ones you and I just read are fact. They're in her phone. That was a conversation that happened. Her mm-hmm. saying, I told him to get back in. We don't know if that happened. She says it did. Ugh. One thing the film brings up that I don't think the trial brings up is the show Glee. Michelle was totally obsessed with it, but most particularly, she was really obsessed with Leah Michelle and her character. Mm-hmm. Um, did you watch Glee at all? I watched it when it first came out, but I quickly lost steam. Sure, but you don't need to have watched a lot of it to know um, that the the big relationship on the was show... Was Finn and Rachel. Is, yes. 
and that they were real life boyfriend and girlfriend Corey Monteith and yeah. Leah Michelle. Yeah. And that Corey overdosed mm-hmm. in a hotel room quite young and died. Yeah. I knew that. When they were, you know, kids on TV playing uh, boyfriend, girlfriend in real life. And a year before Conrad kills himself. Michelle will bring up Corey's death in their text messages, uh, just saying she's thinking about it or was watching the episode. There was an episode after Corey Monteith died. That they, like, justified why his character was no longer. That his character died Mm -hmm. on the show. Yeah. So it was kind of this weird meta thing where you're watching all these young actors singing songs for him and crying and truly... I don't believe any of them were acting because they had all lost a a great friend Yeah, uh, and were truly impacted. So it was sort of an eerie episode. And Michelle seems super into this episode and says, oh, I was watching it the other day. It was making me think about you and how sad it would be when you die or if I lose you or whatever. I'm I'm paraphrasing. I don't know what exactly. But I thought it was interesting she brought it up to him because in the the documentary – They track certain things, she says, to Conrad via text, and she repeats things verbatim that Rachel's character (gasps) says on the show and that Leah Michelle says in interviews as herself, talking about the loss of Finn or Corey or her relationship or love for Finn on the show. She'll say very particular things about her love for him. And then you'll look at the text and it is word perfect for word, a sentence she said on the show. Hmm. Or when she talked, she said something to a friend, Michelle Carter says something to a friend after Conrad's death. Mm -hmm. And it is verbatim something Leah Michelle said while being interviewed about Corey's death. It is so... I hate that. Creepy. I hate that. Well, it feels very teenage, very performative, very... How many times when you... I especially as an actor, the... how many times in middle or high school did you watch any show you were into and kind of want to act it out after or be that person or oh, turn... Time. You might have even picked a phrase from it and turned to a friend in a fight and thought it was cool to use one of the insults you heard on like yeah. the cool TV show you watched. For sure. We've all been there and this is her fully acting out this story she's obsessed with. I also think, too, is I think we... The feelings of love and stuff, I think what's creepy is... I'm feeling of two minds about it only because sometimes people say things that perfectly encapsulate how you feel and you Mm -hmm. will borrow those turned of phrases and implement them in your own life. But this does feel like role play. Yes. In such a profound way that I'm like, I, I think we've all used turns of phrase, but this does feel like role play. Well, Carter was convicted of involuntary manslaughter, as we know. The judge stated prior to his ruling that it was Carter's phone calls with Roy when he was in the truck gassing himself, as described by her texts, uh, that caused him to go through with the killing. So he he sort of separated the two things and said, all those texts that you and I just read that happened the day of, I, I don't believe I can convict on that matter. Mm. What I do feel I can convict on is her account 
of what she said. I told him to get back in the car. And I'll read what he said. She instructed Mr. Roy to get back in the truck, well knowing of all of the feelings that he had exchanged with her, his ambiguities, his fears, his concerns. She did nothing. She did not call the police or Mr. Roy's family. Finally, she did not issue a simple additional instruction to Roy, get out of the truck. Judge Moniz found that Roy had broken the chain of self-causation towards his suicide when he exited the truck and that it was actually Michelle Carter's wanton and reckless encouragement to return to the truck that caused the death. Mm-hmm. That's what led him to classify it as manslaughter. Right. On August 3rd, 2017, he sentenced Carter to serve a two and a half year term with 15 months to be served at Bristol County House of Corrections. The rest of the balance suspended and five years of probation. After sentencing Carter's lawyers, they asked the judge to issue a stay of the sentence until all of Carter's court appeals have been exhausted. He agrees with the condition that Carter stay away from the Roy family. Fine. Don't think they want to hang out with her anyway. No. On February 6, 2019, the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court ruled that Carter acted with criminal intent when she encouraged Roy into suicide. So her involuntary manslaughter conviction was ordered to stand, and her 15-month prison sentence would be enforced in the near future. The rest of the two-and-a-half-year sentence was suspended, followed by five years of probation. So... Under order from the Massachusetts judge, she began serving that 15-month sentence on February 11th, 2019. She requested a parole hearing for early release. They denied it. Her lawyers petitioned the case to the Supreme Court of the United States. The defense lawyers argued that Roy had a history of suicide attempts and that the decision to end his life was his own and that taking all the texts, all of them, From their whole relationship and context, she had tried to talk him out of it many times. They argued in the initial hearings that the defendant had broken no law. We talked about that, that they went back to sort of First Amendment stuff. Yeah. Uh, She was a juvenile, but the Supreme Court declined to hear the case. Mm -hmm. So that left in place the The original conviction. So she's in there. She served uh, 11 months of her 15-month sentence and is out. But the world has not uh, been very forgiving, I don't think. Is she active on, like, social media still? I don't believe so. I think she's probably... She's got to be, like... I don't know what her life is like now. Um, I'm wondering if you have to do a documentary. Do you... Was she interviewed at all in the documentary? No, 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 no. I don't think she will want to ever talk about this. When she was walking into the courtroom, people on the street were yelling, kill yourself at her. She's a very, very hated person. She sounds like she's also very sick. It doesn't sound like her meds are working. Also, I just think the lack of true friendship and bonding has damaged her. I mean, I think there's a lot of things. If she stopped eating and had an eating disorder at eight or at nine eight. years old, I think that... Some self-hatred stuff going on. But also, like, that's formative. Those are highly formative years that I think probably have affected her mental health. And so, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm I'm just a dentist. But 
I, I just there's something going on there. What did her family? Was her family present? Her in mom any of this? and dad were. You know, you could see them in um, in the in court. court. Her dad wrote a letter before the sentencing to the judge because when he found her guilty, he could have put her away for much longer. The uh, yeah. prosecution asked for seven. I want to say seven to fifteen or twenty years. Yeah. They said minimum of this and maximum of that is what we would sort of expect from this mm-hmm. now that you've said guilty. And he did obviously much less. less. Yeah. Um, but her dad, before the sentencing, wrote a long letter about, well, they don't read it in the show. You kind of see it for a second. But I would just imagine it's what any father would do, just sort of saying this person is so important to us. and. Yeah. She has the capacity to change and she has the capacity to love and we love her and please, she's a kid. It's so fucking sad. It's so sad. I'm curious as to- You want to be in her head so bad, don't you? No, no. Hard pass. I do desperately. I so want to know what's true and what's not. Like, I want to know badly if she has experienced true remorse or like so many people that do terrible things- is it more about I'm so mad I got busted and this was going to make me so popular? You mean, is, or, she a de- is she Adela or is she? <laughs> yes. Is she Adela or a regular fella? <laughs> I'm so I, – I'm heartbroken for the family. I mean, I think for his family. I'm just heartbroken because, one, their son is gone and they're already struggling with the fact that he – committed suicide Mm -hmm. and then to have actively have someone else to blame i mean what a conflicting feeling what a horrible i mean any loss of any life and and someone so young with so much promise it's it's just heartbreaking and to have someone be so cold i just don't understand it like i just don't get it he was a really smart cute kid i gotta tell you seeing the weird YouTube Ugh. video, I was like, Ugh. I like you. Ugh. I hate that story. Yeah, it's it's That's devastating. That's why I didn't want to watch the documentary, and now I don't have to. Because I was going to do, I was going to watch the documentary and do the story for Truly Darkly Creeply. But it was too dark. I started researching it not knowing there was the documentary. Really? So I got, I was in for a real treat because I did a bunch of online articles and stuff and read the text messages and went, oh, this is wild. And then just doing my online research, obviously the movie came up and I was like, score. oh, total score. <laughs> Love it when homework can be watching an HBO documentary. And they it's really well done. So if oh, this still, case is yeah. uh, interesting to you, interesting please go to check you. that out. Because I covered a lot of what they say, but not not barely at the same time. And they separated into part one and part two. Part one focuses on the prosecution and part two focuses on the defense. Wow. And you uh, watch a lot of this trial unfold and watch you watch. I think one of the set there's so many sad things about it. But one of the things that was eerie was watching um what I assumed to be a popular girl from school get on the stand and them ask questions in front of Michelle Carter about, are you friends with her? No. Did you 
like hanging out with her no when she invited you to do things what would your response be i'd say i was busy like watching stuff like that that's sad yes the whole thing very uncomfortable oh i need some i need to cleanse myself after that story i know i know what um do you have any funny anecdotes from your wild and crazy past Oh, there was, there was one that came up, but I didn't, I think I ignored it because the story was so sad. Because <laughs> the story was so you sad. Were like, I was like, now's not a time for an anecdote, but you know what, it's kind of nice anecdote. to, uh, but, oh tell my. us, a, tell us a little anecdote. Tell us. My nephews are so cute. Koa's, That's not an anecdote. I'm excited because Koa's now up from his nap. You want to go party? And we're going to party with Koa, which will feel really, really nice, which will yeah. feel really good. Yeah. Right? By the way, you've been listening to Truly Darkly Creepy. I'm Carrie Ipema. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I think all of our stories are that, Truly Darkly Creepy. But there's something about children behaving without any <sighs> insight. Not insight's not the word, but not behaving. Not f- not behaving well like that and you're like how much of that is your youth and how, well, how much, much of that, of that is, is like just... is she actually trying to kill him or she's just searching for attention and in such a gross mishandled you know what i just well don't like i'm older than you but my experience of growing up was picking up the phone from your room and hearing that someone was on it and them being like, what? And you being like, get off. I want to turn. And <laughs> yes. then me trying to talk to a boy from school and hearing my mom definitely like He's picking dropping. up. My sister And being siblings. like, I know you're on the phone. And like thinking it's probably, it's either my mom or it's it's Brianna. <laughs> Somebody's like over, you know, trying to listen to my call. So the differences are just so stark. And we're obviously moving in dangerous direction because Where if I may be so honest, much privacy. I don't love that amount of privacy We're, if I'm you're frank. You're so irresponsible. I do have a fun anecdote that's related to this, but I think it's a positive thing. So my mom is one of five. Yeah. And um, they used to have one of these like old recorders or whatever. So my mom was talking to her boyfriend at the time. She was in high school and she was talking to this guy and she gets off the phone, she hangs up, and all of a sudden she hears her voice. And her sister and brother had recorded my mom's whole call with <gasps> her boyfriend. <sighs> and they put the speakers in the window and played it for the whole neighborhood. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> I, again, I think... It was simpler times. It was simpler times. It probably was in the 70s, and... And the pranks were better. The pranks were so... Because people were... You had to get creative. You to prank call. You can barely do that now. You can't do that at all. And I gotta tell you, the I just think, like, how I feel about Della is, like, I like doing old shit because people had to get fucking creative. Yeah. <sighs> You couldn't use text message as the murder weapon. <laughs> no, you had to use poison. It was and even Michelle then... Carter from her bedroom with the with cellular the phone. phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to cleanse myself and play with Cole. Let's go play Clue. <gasps> Done. All right. Hey, thanks for joining us. Guys, donate to that Patreon. I'm not even, I'm not fucking around. <laughs> and, and neither should you be. 
Don't fuck around. I know you're sitting at home thinking about where to give that dollar a, a month. month that you budget. That's $12 a year, folks. Come on. That ain't nothing. Also, visit our website. You're going to learn about something new. We yeah. won't tell you what it is. TrulyDarklyCreeply.com. Give us a visit. All right. We'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. That's what I do. Talk to you tomorrow. I go like this. Okay, thanks. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>